Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to, uh, to our family gathering for, for Cultivate Church. We're excited for you uh, to be here with us today as we kick off the new year and we kick off a new series at the same time. Uh, we, we're calling the series Acts of the Spirit, and I'm going to um, reserve why we're calling it that uh, just a bit. We're going to talk about that just a, a few minutes from now. Um, but this series that we're doing is uh, we're going through the entire book of Acts. So if you know anything about that book, there's 28 chapters in it. Uh, so it's a pretty long book. And, uh, and as I was looking at kind of the way that it's working out, it's probably going to take us the majority of the year to go through. Uh, so that means really that uh, this is the longest series that we've ever done as a, as a church, uh, but I'm really excited about it because as I've been reading through it and spending a lot of time in it, I'm going, man, there is so much that God has to teach us through this, and I'm really, really excited both to learn uh, and, and to be able to share so that we are learning together what God is doing. Um, and, and so that's the, that's the plan for 2014, uh, essentially. We're, we have a few other things kind of sprinkled in here and there throughout the year, but the book of Acts is primarily where we're going to be uh, for approximately 37, 39 weeks or so. Um, so. So just so you know that. Um, today also, I know this has been mentioned a couple times uh, already, but uh, this today kind of marks essentially, it's not the exact day, but it marks the season of the three-year anniversary of our church together. Um, and so that, that's reason to celebrate right there. Uh, the fact that God has been so gracious, so faithful to us as a body to continue uh, the work that he really started and that we've been able to respond to for three years, and now we get to go into a fourth year together and ask God, what's next? What are you doing now? What are you doing today? Um, and, and so I'm pretty excited about that. What's interesting is, I don't know if you realize this, how many of you were around three years ago? Okay, quite a few of you. Um, do you remember the first sermon of the first series that we did? Well, that was in the first series, but that wasn't the first sermon. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're right. I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, let alone three years ago. We did a, the, the very first sermon that we did was a sermon called The God of New Beginnings, and it was actually out of the book of Acts. And so here we stand three years later um, actually asking many of the same questions because three years ago the question we were asking is, can, do, can God do something new through this group of people? Um, there, there was a time and a season in the life, beginning of the life of our church where there is a, a, a lot of this wondering of, can God still use us? Is He still among us? Is he still working? Does he still have a plan for us? Is there still something that he has us kind of grouped together for? And what, and what would that purpose be? And so when we started to ask that question, um, the, the answers that we got were, yes, he is still among us. Yes, he does have a plan for us. Yes, he is going to use us. Yes, he, he, he does want us to, there, there are many, many things that he has planned for us, and, and he's not done. He's continuing that work today, and that gave us a lot of encouragement three years ago. And so today, we're, we're really starting a new series um, asking a lot of the same questions. What is it that God is doing next in and among us? What, where does He want us to go? How does He want us to be faithful to that? So, so it's an exciting Sunday, I guess, for, for a couple reasons. Start of a new series, the three-year anniversary of our church. It's also the day, as John mentioned, 
that we're actually commissioning a team that's going to travel to Shadrach, Haiti this Friday. And so I'm really excited about that. A little bit later in the service, we're going to have all the members of the team come up. Um, and then you can kind of come up and join us and, and lay hands on them because we're going to spend a little bit of time praying for them, asking that God would anoint them and bring his spirit to give them power to be able to be used uh, down in Haiti and, and all the other things that he has planned for them. So it's really exciting. I'm, I'm sad in one sense because I don't get to go on this trip. And it's the first time that we've gone to Haiti that I'm not going. And so as the time has approached for the, the trip to happen, I'm, I'm becoming more and more sad about that. But I'm very excited at the same time uh, for, for people to be able to go. That reminds me also that if God is kind of laying on your heart maybe to go to Haiti at some point, our next trip is planned for this summer. So if, if you have an interest in going, you think you might want to go, even if you're not sure if you want to go, but you want details about going, just come and talk to me because we're going to start talking about the next trip, which is happening six months from now. Okay, all that to be said, we're starting Acts 1, verse 1. If you're going to follow along in the Bibles that we have underneath the seats, it's on page 755. So here we go. In the former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their, their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Um, you may not realize this, but Acts is actually the second of two books written by a follower of Jesus named Luke. And the first of his books is a gospel called the Gospel of Luke after his own name. And so Acts is the second book in kind of a series that Luke writes. And so his first book actually starts out this way. It's a very similar beginning, but it starts out, Luke says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning... It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And so in Luke's first book, what he's doing is writing to a man named Theophilus, who was, apparently was a, a follower of Jesus, 
so that this Theophilus guy could have certainty about the things that he had been taught about Jesus. Apparently there was a community of Christians, of believers that were around Theophilus, and they were telling them, telling him about Jesus. And so he wanted certainty about these things. And so he actually commissions Luke, who is a historian and doctor, to go and write an orderly account of Jesus' life and all that he had said and done. And, and what Luke is saying at the very beginning is, I want you to be able to have confidence that, that Jesus is who he said he was. That he is who others have said he was. And so he writes this account of his life. So, so then in the second book that Luke writes, this book of Acts, he starts out by saying that his first book was about what Jesus began to do. Did you hear that? What Jesus began to do. Let, let me ask you this then. What does it imply when Luke says at the very beginning of the book of Acts, all that Jesus began to do, that that's what his gospels were about? What's it imply? Yeah, there's more, right? Yeah, he's not done doing stuff. Isn't that interesting? Jesus isn't finished yet. He's, he's continuing a, a work. And so this book of Acts is going to be the continuation of Jesus' work in the world. Many of us have this understanding of Jesus as being some kind of historical figure that he lived his life and he was around for 33 years and then he died and then, he, and then that was it. He's done. That was his life. And many people, when they think about Jesus, they read about his teachings and they look at his life as being this really great example. But I want you to know that's not the biblical picture of who Jesus is. Luke is saying this Jesus, he began to do a work in his human body. He lived a perfect life through that body. He, he died a death on a cross, substituting Himself for the sins of humanity. He rose again after three days. And He ascended back into heaven. And now, Luke is going, now this next chapter is the story of Jesus still doing His work through another body. What's that body called? The church. It's the church. One of my great concerns, it's not just for our church, but it's really for the church in America, is that we have this understanding that most of us think that Jesus is done. He did a bunch of great stuff. He saved us, all the rest. But that somehow when Jesus died and rose again and went back to his Father, the story of Jesus' life is done. And now it's sort of our work. So Jesus did His work. He's finished. And now it's like all up to us. And so we work really hard at trying to be like Jesus. And we try really hard to follow His example. And we do really good things because we're really nice people. And we live our lives as if it's all really up to us. And that's just not the case. If you're reading Acts the way that Luke is writing it. And... and I hope you hear this. If that's the way that we're trying to live, either individually or as a church, it's going to result in us either being completely burnt out or completely absorbed in our own kind of works and, and what we do. It's not what Luke is going to teach us through this series. What he's saying is Jesus is still doing His work through us. And, and so 
That's the reason why we're calling this series The Acts of the Spirit. Those of you who have maybe read through the book of Acts or at least seen it as you've passed by if you're looking through your Bibles, after the word Acts, what is often the next kind of tag in terms of the title? Yeah, Acts of the Apostles. Apostles are are the, the, the first 12 leaders of the church. In the, in the Gospels, they're called disciples, which means learners. So they're a group of, of guys that are sitting around Jesus, watching Jesus, being kind of doing ministry with Jesus because they're learning from him. They're learning the, what it looks like to walk in the shoes of their Messiah. And now when Jesus goes away, they become apostles. The, the word apostle means sent ones. And so they were learning, and now they're sent by the one that they were learning from, to do the things that they, that, that they learned from the, the person that they learned it. So they're, they're supposed to be apprentices who now walk in the ways of Jesus. But, so, so calling the, the book of Acts kind of Acts of the Apostles, it isn't a bad thing. It's, a, it's recording the apostles and what they do. But, but listen to this. If you only think of it as something historical that these certain people did in this certain day and that it was special and different from kind of our day, you actually leave out the main character of the story. The main character of the story in the book of Acts is Jesus by His Spirit doing His work through the apostles. And so Jesus isn't dependent on the apostles to do the work. He's choosing to use the apostles and they're doing incredible things, not because they're incredible people, but because they have an incredible God who's working through everyday normal people. So here's the, when, when we think about it as just a historical book, we can slip into this thing of going, what did they do? What, what should we do? Right? So, so we read the account of people's lives and we go, what did they do? Okay, they did this, 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 and this. And then we create a list in our minds and we go, okay, we need to do the exact same things in the exact same way. And I want to submit to you that that's actually the wrong thing to do. It's the wrong question to ask. So the two questions that I want us to ask as we go through this entire series together, the first one is this. How did Jesus continue to do His work through His people by His Spirit? How is Jesus the one being active? How is the Spirit the one being the, the, the power source for everything that this church is doing? And then... Asking the, the follow-up question, how is Jesus continuing to do His work through us? Because it's not like Jesus stops His work at the end of the book of Acts. Because Jesus, in the very first chapter, He's going, you're going to be My witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And as far as I can tell in the book of Acts, He only gets to Rome. There's a few billion people missing from the equation when you get to the end of the book of Acts. Because he's still working. He's still the God who works through everyday normal people like you and me. So that should give us great hope and it should give us great confidence. So that's why we're going to ask, what is he doing and what is he still doing? And then how can we be a part of God's plan as he continues to write that story out here in New Jersey, in, in Camden County, in Gloucester County, in Burlington County? What is he doing today? So... so I'm going to unpack kind of the three sort of main themes that we're going to see throughout the book of Acts. And then you're going to see these things kind of come up over and over again as we go through it. But everything that you're going to see throughout the book happens in the first 11 verses. 
in kind of a small form, and then it gets really like blown out of the water as we get going through it. So the three things are this, and we're going to touch on the first one here. The first one is that the, the message of Acts. The message of Acts is that Jesus is king. He's continuing to be king. And, and, and that's Luke's message from, from the first to the very end. He starts out in verse 3 saying, After his, his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Luke wants to be clear as he starts out the beginning of this book, and he already covered it a lot in the, in the first book, but he's going, Jesus is alive. He, he's, he's living and active. And, and not only that, but he gave convincing evidence so that nobody in his day would be able to suppress it. He, he appeared to over 500 people, and, and they saw him alive, eating and drinking in the flesh as a real person. And so Luke is writing this to a pretty prominent person in Theophilus because apparently Theophilus has the the bankroll to be able to finance this project of Luke's. And so if he were writing down things to Theophilus that weren't true, it would immediately, you'd see all this flood of evidence come in to the contrary to go, no, 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 that wasn't the case. Jesus wasn't alive. He's still buried. He's still in a box. He's still, he isn't here. But Luke's going, no, that's not the case. He's alive. He's well. Why do you think that Luke would go back to this idea? Let me just ask you that. Why do you think he would go back to this idea of Jesus being alive if the rest of Acts actually doesn't include Jesus kind of being alive in it? Like, the rest of the book of Acts, after these first 11 verses, Jesus ascends into heaven, and now it's the church, right? So why start out going, hey, don't forget, Jesus is alive? Why do you think? That's the whole point, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, if Jesus isn't alive, then this, this new thing called the church, well, it's, I mean, it's destined to fail, right? It's not going to be around for very long. And the, and the things that you're going to see the church doing aren't going to be explained or explainable if it's actually not the king living through the church. Like if Jesus is just dead and gone, then, then to explain what the church is about to do would be like, how are we even going to do that? Um, I think one of, the, one of the main reasons that Luke is going back and reminding the audience of this is because God had promised that he was going to bring an eternal king. The, the, the king that God was going to bring was going to be entirely different from every king that they experienced. You may remember this when we went through this during the Christmas season. But Isaiah 9, verse 7, when we talked about a a son is, to us a a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That very familiar passage in, in Isaiah 9. Well, listen to what he says. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. You hear what he's saying? God is promising an eternal king who's going to reign forever. And so Luke, he wants to remind us to go, this is the eternal king. 
Israel had been waiting for this kind of king to show up. And so when Jesus shows up and he starts teaching, one of the first things he says is, the kingdom of God is here. It's come. It's among you. In other words, I'm the king that you guys have been waiting for. I'm the king who's come to you. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that God has anointed for this. I'm the one who's come to bring everything right, everything back to the way that it should be. And the only way that I can continue to do that is if my kingdom never ends. Because if my kingdom ends, then I'm only able to bring things back to order just for a little bit of time, and then I'm gone and things are back to chaos. And many of us live our lives that way, right? Because Jesus like, has the power to bring us back to God, and then we feel this like season of peace and like, you know, everything is right with the world. And then we start living our lives under a different kind of king. And we go back to our old way of living, and then the chaos comes back in, and we go, this isn't the eternal kingdom. How is it that Jesus demonstrates that he's the king that Israel's been waiting for? What, what, is, what are the, some of the things that he does to show that he has all authority throughout his life? Those of you who know, kind of familiar with, with his story. What are some of the things that we see him do? Yeah. Yeah, so he has, he has power over death itself. What else? Yeah, he teaches with authority, right? People say there's real authority. It's almost like he's speaking with the words of God, which of course he was. I heard one other. Yeah, so he calms the seas too. He has power over creation itself. Yeah, so he, he has access to information that only God could have, right? I mean... Think of like the, I mean the demons that Jesus cast out. He has power over that. He has power over creation. He has power over health and sickness and death. He has, yeah, he has power over multiplying food. It, so so Jesus is has power to be the best provider that there is. He has power over sin, right? You remember the story of the paralytic that can't walk. And he, you know, his, he gets lowered into this meeting that Jesus is having with people on a mat through the ceiling into everybody's midst. And then what does Jesus do? He goes, you're forgiven. Your faith has made you well. Like, you're, you're, you're reconciled back with God. And people are like, wait, only God has the authority to forgive sins. What is going on here? And then Jesus goes, so that you might know that I have the authority to, to forgive sins, to even reconcile people back to God. Pick up your mat and walk. And so he does, right? In the view of everybody, and he walks out happy with his mat. And it's amazing. So throughout his entire life, you get this picture. He's king. He's the most powerful one that there is. And, and what's interesting, though, is that even though Jesus is this king that has all authority, he's the best king that ever lived, Israel ends up rejecting him as king. They even mock him as being their king because he didn't look like how they thought he should look. And if you know anything about Israel's history, they had a history of doing just that, of, of wanting something from God, and then when God provides it, they reject it. 
So over and over again, they were disappointed. How many of you have ever been disappointed with a gift that you've received because it wasn't what you expected? Probably nobody here, right? Maybe the person sitting next to you was the one that gave it to you. And so, like, I'm not going there, you know, because in the car ride, my spouse is going to go, what gift was it, honey? (laughs) See, we have expectations, and then we receive gifts, and if if the, the gift doesn't meet the expectation, there's disappointment. And we're coming out of a season where many of us as parents operated through the entire month of December with this fear in our hearts that we weren't going to provide our children with the kind of experience that they, they, they like, you know, that Hallmark provides. And so, because we're worried that one day our kids are going to come back to us and go, that, you know, I was a little disappointed, you know, with all that. I mean, I got a ton of gifts, but yeah, it's okay. You know, And I think it, as parents, that fear can drive us, can it? To try to out-top ourselves every single year. Because we're afraid that our kids are going to come to us and go, I don't know, that's just, it's not enough. I was hoping for a little bit more. And so that's what Israel is saying when they, they look at Jesus. They're going, Jesus, you're not enough. We wanted something a little bit different. We wanted a a king that was going to conquer the enemies of Rome. We didn't want one that was going to conquer the sin in our own heart. And that's where many of us, I think, are today. We think about God. God, it's it's great that you've given me salvation. It's great that you've, you know, I have a relationship with you. I'm I'm thankful for that, God. Thank you for the gift and what you've given me, but is there any more? I was hoping for something different. I don't know if this is enough. I kind of I look at what you've given to other people, God, and it seems like they have a little bit more. Why can't I have a little bit more? And the, the, the interesting thing is, when you look at Israel's history, God had actually allowed them to experience what it looked like to have other kings. Other human kings. And, and they turned out to be foolish men who led out of their own strength and their own wisdom. And they, over and over again, they experienced disappointment and pain because the kings that they produced oftentimes weren't perfect. They weren't God Himself. And so when they fell, Israel fell. So Jesus, when He shows up, He says, I am the perfect king for you. I'm the perfect one. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the one who has all authority. And I'm not just, I, just don't, I don't just have authority, but I'm actually going to use my authority to conquer the things that keep you from experiencing the life of the King in you. I'm going to conquer over your sin. I'm going to reconcile you back to me. I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you can live a different kind of life. So that you can live in my kingdom under my reign as holy and cleansed people forever. He's an eternal king. I I think sometimes we think of Christianity or church or Jesus as something that God does one day in your life. And you sort of pray a prayer and you get saved and now the rest of life is up to you. And someday you get to go to heaven. But from 
the time that you get to know God till the time that He kind of takes you home, the rest of your life is sort of about you. And God gets kind of sprinkled into the mix. Like in those seasons where you realize how much you need Him. And that's just, that's not it. That's not what it means for Jesus to be King. And, and here's the thing, you can't come to know Jesus as Savior unless you also come to know Him as King. Because He's not one or the other, He's both. And when He's King, it means He gets to rule. So who's King for you today? If you were being honest, if you were to look at the landscape of your life, who's in charge of your world? See, you'll know the answer because the king is the one who gets to do the decision-making. He's the one who's in charge. And, and I'm convinced many of us would go, yep, Jesus is my king. We sing about it. We, you know, we raise our hands to it. But then we look at the landscape of our life and we see a different picture. So maybe we look at our relationships and there, there are relationships that we're just trying to exercise control over. And we go, yeah, I, I understand God is in control of the relationship. He's, he's the one who's in charge. But then, like, you only feel peace when you're, like, in the person's life, able to exercise control. And then when you're not in the person's life and there's distance there, you just feel anxiety and fear and worry. That's you being in control. I just want to be clear about that. That's not you releasing control to another king because if you did that, you'd realize that you can have peace even when you're not in control. Some of us are kind of have Jesus as our king, but then when it comes to our lives, we go, I, just, I don't want the king, what, what the king wants for me. I just want to be happy. I just want my own idea of happiness. I want to live life for myself. Or I want to build my retirement. Or I want to do this for myself. I want to have a vacation home. or what, I mean, whatever it is. I'm not saying those things are bad. But when we do it in isolation from the king, we're living our own kingdom. We're saying to God, you, you've only, your, your reign only extends so far. The rest is going to be about me. Some of us, we may be allowing ourselves to be determined by of who we are by what other people say about us and what other people think about us. And so we're racked with torment because we're, we're just wondering, am I okay in the eyes of this person or that person? Do they see me as good? Do they see me as, as, as a good person, as, as worthy of love? And we forget what our king says about us. That in Him we are loved, we are accepted, we are approved. Where in your life are you still holding on to the throne? One of the things that I, I love about, I, I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. And one of the things that really stuck in my mind and I would talk to students about all the time is, is there's only one throne in your life. Please don't think that there are like multiple thrones and you get to sit on 60% of them. There's one. Who's on it? Is it you? Is it Jesus? My prayer for you is that you would surrender your throne to Him. Secondly, what we're going to see in Acts is that the message is that Jesus is King. The method that that message gets out to the world is the Spirit. 
that there is a method of acts and that the method is that the Spirit is power. So the question that Luke's going to address is how does the king continue to do his work through the church? How does he continue, even though he's in heaven, to, to work on earth? And the answer is that he sends his Spirit. Verses 4 and 5 say this, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm just picturing in my mind the fact that these guys have been walking with Jesus for three plus years. And, And I'm assuming that most of them were probably around to witness his baptism. And so what would they be thinking about when they hear Jesus talk about being baptized with the Spirit? What, what, what would be their frame of reference? They'd go back and think about Jesus' baptism, wouldn't they? So what happens at Jesus' baptism? Do you remember? Not a dove. I mean, it was the Spirit came down like a dove, right? So it wasn't that like a, a dove, like a physical dove came and sat on Jesus' shoulder like a parrot, right? I mean, sometimes that's the picture that we can have in our mind. But the dove represented the anointing of God coming down on Jesus. It's kind of, in a sense, selecting Him and, and giving Him the Spirit and saying, this is the one that I've chosen, for my purposes in the world. This is, this is the one. Listen to him. What else, does, what else happens? God the Father's there. And what does God the Father say? Yeah, there's an affirmation, right? A, a family identity. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What else happens? What happens immediately after Jesus' baptism? Yeah, he gets led into the desert, right? By the same Spirit that he was anointed with, he gets led into the deserts and is, and is tempted by Satan for 40 days. And then after, what it says is that by the power of the Spirit, Jesus overcame those temptations. So what Jesus is saying when he, when he starts out here is He's saying, you're going to be baptized like I was and the result is that you're going to have the same power source that I have. I mean, that's a crazy thought. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, the, the Bible says that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now lives in you if you belong to Him. Have you ever reflected on how radical that is and how much like how much power we have access to if only we would live in submission to the spirit rather than trying to live life in our own strength it's amazing that god would actually do that and 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 here's the thing that jesus says don't do anything until you have my power in you so if you think that you're going to accomplish my mission without me it's not going to work if you think that you're going to emulate my life and walk in my ways without my spirit, it's not going to happen. If you think you're going to 
kind of self-improve as as a person and become just this great person all by yourself, forget about it. If you think you're just going to be this nice guy in your own strength and that that's going to show anybody what I'm like, it's going to fail. You need my presence to descend on you just like you saw happen to me. So don't do it until you have it. That's what he's saying. One of the things I love about being a missionary um, is that when you, and I'm talking like in another land, right? So you, you guys that are traveling to Haiti on Friday, this is going to happen to you at some point, okay? You probably feel, already feel overwhelmed, but it's mostly in the like preparation of going. But there's going to be a morning when you, when you get up at the hotel and you're getting ready to go up the mountain to visit with the community, and this thought is going to dawn on you. I have no idea what I'm doing today. <laughs> I have no power to do it. I ha- like, I, like, I don't, I'm just going to get in the van and hope something happens. God, I don't speak the language. I don't know the culture. I don't know any. Like, I'm clueless. I'm just here. Which, by the way, is a fantastic place to be. It is. Because when you're in that spot, here's, here's, God is saying to you in that, in that very moment, I'm revealing how necessary it is for you to have me with you. So don't go up the mountain without me, is what he's saying. Because you're going to need me to do it. Because everything that you said is true. Because without me going with you, you have no ability to do it. So wait for me and pray to me and ask me to come and anoint you to be with you, to give you power. And he does. How many of you experienced that in Haiti? That just Absolutely, right? I mean, I remember some of the stories that we had going, like sitting around going, I, I just feel totally inadequate to be here. And then us praying as a group and going, God, would you just, would you multiply and make more of who we are? Because we, on our own, we don't have anything to offer these people. But we believe that we're here under your name and that you're here with us and that we're, we're able in your power to, to love people in the way that you would have us love them. So please do more than we can do. And did he? Absolutely he did. It was amazing to see that. I've seen it on every trip. It's a wonderful thing to experience. But it starts with a place of being in need, of needing God's help. So those of you who are going to Haiti and and you haven't been there already, this is the danger that you're going to experience. When you get back, the danger will be to go from being in a place of need, crying out to God, seeing Him move, doing amazing things, and then giving Him thanks. That's kind of the process that you'll see in Haiti. You'll come home and the danger will be to substitute the Spirit of God for something else. You'll plug and play something that's much easier and much more controllable so that you can have kind of exercise control over your own spiritual life or or what God has you doing in your own life. That's going to be the danger. One of the things that God is teaching you on this trip is to not allow that slip to happen. Let me ask them. What are some of the things that we use to substitute God's Spirit, His presence in our lives, to replace it in our life? What are some of the things? 
works. Yep. So in a sense, a lesser purpose. Like, I just, I, I'm going to get through the next eight hours, and that's going to be enough. Rather than saying, like, the next eight hours are yours, and you're going to work through it. Whether or not I'm sitting at my desk or in a foreign country, I'm still a missionary. I still have the Spirit. Yeah. What else? Yeah, yeah. Sort of the wisdom and experience of friends and family. And so we run to them first for advice or for counsel or for comfort before we go to the Spirit of God. So rather than like in a moment of anxiety or a moment of fear or a moment of feeling inadequate, rather than like in a place like Haiti where you go, I'm going to cry out to God and see if He can speak to me in the midst of that. Maybe He wants to tell me something. When we're back here, we just we run to the closest person or the one that has the best advice, right? And oftentimes we squelch the Spirit of God when we do that. I'm not saying advice or counsel is a bad thing. Please don't hear that. But oftentimes we want to fill our lives with the voices of other people and it drowns out the voice of God. Yeah, what else? Yeah, comfort of our own routine. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll just confess to you, oftentimes I've, I think I live my life like a functional atheist. I really do. And I think most of us do. We, be, we say we believe in God, but then when it comes down to it, and like living the everyday moment of life, we look to ourselves and our own strength and our own experience and our own work and our own stuff, and we concentrate more on what we have to do and what we have done or what's been done to us than we do on what God does. That's atheism. And, and I just, I mean, I think of my own life that way. Sometimes even when like, I'm thinking about or constructing sermons or even up here, sometimes I can slip into this, like just doing it out of my own strength stuff. One of, my, I mean, one of the things I, I, that I've been praying about and wanting to see God do it, it, in my heart, and one of the changes is just to, to be somebody that comes before God and says, what are you doing? What are you about? Where are you leading? Where can I follow? He, I want you to hear this. God doesn't want you walking in your own strength thinking that you can live out the mission of God on your own. Or even the mission of your own life. He has so much more for you and that's the reason He's given the Spirit. But it starts with receiving the gift that the Father has in store for those who are His. So think about what that gift looks like. It looks like what happened at Jesus' baptism. Now, I mean, we can get really technical about that, but, but in a sense, when, when we come to know God as our Father, we hear the same words of affirmation. You are my son. You are my daughter. In you I am well pleased. There is nothing that you need to do to earn it anymore. You have it because of Jesus. You're mine. So, if we're His... We should at one point in time hear those words from our Heavenly Father. If that has not happened for you, I would seriously question whether or not you're His. And I, I don't say that to scare you. I just say that to be honest about our own hearts. Because I think oftentimes we live as Christians and we've never heard the affirming words of our Father go, you are mine love you so much. Stop living your life for other people or for yourself. And I know even as believers, we, 
we can slip into doing those things. That's part of the struggle of being a, a, a believer. It's kind of the old self versus the new self. But all, and I'm not saying it happened to happen one day with a certain prayer and the clouds parted. I'm not saying any of those things. But we should have heard our Father say to us, you are in my family. Has that happened for you? Another thing that happens for us when we're His is that we experience spiritual warfare. There is real temptation that happens. I remember this happening when I first became a Christian. I, I mean, before I, I, I came to know God as my Father through Jesus, I, like, I had no problem living for myself. I had no problem going to parties. I had no problem getting drunk. I had no problem like, with any of that stuff. There was just no internal conflict at all. I just None. All of a sudden, I come to know God as my Father, and I feel conflicted in all these ways. And I feel like temptation is coming into my life from all these angles, and that there's this battle going on for my heart. See, when you become part of God's family, you become an enemy of God's enemy, which means you start to experience some type of warfare in your life. Has that happened? Is it happening? One of the other things that we experience, just as Jesus did, is that we get the power to overcome those temptations. We see change in our life. We see, even if it's little by little, moment by moment, God giving us the power and the ability to overcome and to start to live a new life. Have those things happened for you? Luke is reminding us that the message is all about Jesus and that the method's all about His Spirit. Lastly, we'll just touch on this briefly, but that the mandate of Acts. So there's a message of Acts, there's a method, and then there's a mandate. And that, the, that is this, that we exist for His mission. We exist for His mission. This is what the church is saved for. The reason that we need Jesus as our King and the Spirit as our power is because Jesus has a mission for us to live out. And so He says this, in verse 8, you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He is our King who leads us out onto mission. And w- one of the funny questions that Jesus' followers ask when they, when, is like, okay, we know that you're our King. We know to wait for the Spirit. Does this mean that you're going to give the kingdom to Israel? Like, does this mean you're going to restore our nation back to us? And, and in a sense, what they were saying is, is, is this the day that we get our kingdom? Is this the day that we get, like, our own personal little safe haven space in the world? And what they were doing is, and I think that grieved Jesus' heart tremendously, is that they were forgetting why Jesus gave Israel a kingdom in the first place, is that they were to be a nation that showed the world what God is like. They were to be a nation that existed for the benefit of those who were not part of Israel. And they forget it. And I think, if we're being honest, many of us forget that too. We forget what it means to be part of Jesus' church and we substitute the mission for lesser things. And one of the main things I think that happens to us is that instead of being people who are about the kingdom of God, we become people who are about the kingdom of self. We become personal kingdom builders. And so we, 
we say things, we, even when we're thinking about church, like, I just want to find a church that's right for me. I just want a church that I like the teaching. I want to find a place where the music is really good. It just makes me feel positive inside. I, I, want, a, I, I want a church with a good children's ministry or is good for my family. And listen, again, I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily bad. All of those things are good things. But please know that that is not the point of the church. The church is not about you. And it's not about me. The church is not for you if you're a child of God. One writer says this, that the church is the only institution that's ever existed that exists for the sole benefit of those who are not its members. See, we're about pouring our lives out for those who are far from God. And so we're going to call you to that often. We're not going to be the kind of church that just sits around and says, how can we make all this better for me? This isn't going to be the place where we do that. It's because the tendency is always to drift away from existing for the benefit of others to asking, what's in this for me? And the truth is, when, when you think about the history of the church, every war and every division within the church happens when people start thinking about themselves more than Jesus and his mission. It starts becoming arguments about the carpet and, and the building and, and what we should do on Wednesday nights and the, the type of music that we should sing and all the rest. I mean, if you've been around the church long enough, you've probably been part of some of those arguments, right? I've never heard an argument where people are like having it out over how we can love our neighbors. No, I think we should love them this way. It just doesn't happen, right? It's always internal conflict that defeats the church. And so at Cultivate, we're, we're not going to go and spend a whole lot of time talking about how we can serve ourselves better. We're just not. We're going to be the kind of church that talks more and more about how we can get on the mission to serve others more. How we can be in the lives of our neighbors and coworkers and friends. How we can love them with the love that's within Christ. And I'm not saying that we are going to do that to the expense of caring for one another. Please don't hear that. But we're not going to make us the main thing because Jesus doesn't make us the main thing. He says, I have another purpose for you. I have a business that you are to be about. You are to be my witnesses. And this is a huge job, right? It's a huge thing. I've been, many of you know, I've told a lot of stories this year about um, being a, a missionary in our neighborhood. The fact that our, our family and a few other families have been missionaries with us for over a year. And, um, and, and I believe that that is by God's providence and leading in our life. I believe that, that God wants that for every believer and that the reason that you live where you live is because God has sent you there. It's not by accident. It's not because the taxes were good or the school district is great. It's because God has a mission for you in your home where you live. And so we've been living out that conviction for over a year now, and I've learned a lot of things through that process. But there's two things that I think are pertinent just for today. 
One is, I, I, one of the things I've learned is how incredibly ignorant our culture is to Jesus and the church. Um, people don't know who Jesus is. They don't know this king. They have no idea what he's about, what he came to do. Like when you start talking about the church and Christianity and pastors, they think churches are institutions full of a bunch of hypocrites, that pastors are people that stand up in front of people and ask for money, and that Christianity is all about being a good person and not living up to it and just feeling guilty all the time. That is not the story. It's not the gospel, right? And so I, I believe that God has us here in South Jersey to, to, to be used by him to help people be released from that so that they might know a better king in their life. I hope you see that too. Second, I, one of the things I, I've learned is how incredibly bad I am as a missionary. How, how, how really unnatural it is for me. How, how, and, and I'm speaking as a person that's trying to like lead our church first in doing it. And I'm like, I'm just failing all the time. And I'm like, I'm terrible at this. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. And that, so I, I think, man, we're, like, we're the ignorant ones. You know, like, we, we have no idea how to do this. And it goes back to that need thing, because I, I, I keep thinking to myself, man, this is a huge job. And if you don't think it's a huge job, you haven't had the perspective of actually looking at it. Because there, there are 205,000 people within a five-mile radius of this building. And I guarantee you, I know the statistics on it, that, that somewhere between 2 and 5% actually know and live in a relationship with Jesus. The people in your neighborhood, they don't know him. People that you work with, don't know him. People that your kids go to school with, they don't know him. We live in a, in a mission-focused area. Uh, 2%, just so you know, statistically speaking, is called an unreached people group in mission organizations. New Jersey is an unreached people group, according to the mission. That should give us pause. It really should. And it should, ask a, it, it should lead us to ask, how are we going to be witnesses in this place to these people? How are we going to do it? And as I was praying about this, um, I've been praying about it a lot over this last year, God actually used somebody within our church to remind me that we need to have a greater emphasis on training people to know how to do it. I have this expectation sometimes that people are just really intuitive. So if you say do it and you motivate them to do it, they'll just do it. And I'm learning over and over again that that's not the case. That we all need uh, kind of training, equipping, experience to be able to start to learn how to do it. Because there's a whole bunch of things that we need to unlearn. And then there's a whole bunch of things that we need to relearn the right way if we're to do it. Um, and so one of the things that we're going to do this next year is that we're going to start to give more training to equip us to live out the mission in everyday life. One of the things that we're going to put a high emphasis on and we're going to spend our time doing. And, and that means, essentially, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to start to, to have a monthly training uh, that we're going to have once a month. That's why it's monthly. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And um, 
And so I, I think we're going to call it missional living training. So you're going to see this start to, to happen on the calendar. And it's primarily, I mean, it, so the, the people that have already been kind of invited to this are some of those who, who have started to say, we, we, we want to start to learn how to do this. We feel the need to, to be equipped to do it. And so we, we started to talk a little bit about that with some of those people. Um, but it's going to be open to everyone. And in fact, it's going to be open beyond our church to, to other churches that want to come and be part of it too to learn the same lessons. Uh, so th- we're going to make this a regular rhythm of our life as a church. And you're going to see this happen. We're going to place a lot of emphasis on it. And you're all, you all are invited to come and participate. And I hope that you do. The reason that we're doing this is because I... I I really sense that God wants us to be more committed to Him, more committed to Jesus as our King, more dependent on His Spirit to fill us and guide us and empower us and more focused on His mission than ever before. So I hope that you'll want to join us in doing that because I believe that God wants that for all of us. So let's pray. Father, thank You that You sent Jesus as our perfect king. And I pray that uh, as we think about him as king, we would be honest before you and that you'd really reveal to us by your spirit areas in our, our lives where we're not submitted to you yet as king. I pray even that you'd give us a picture of us having one throne in our life. And if we're on that throne in one area of life, I pray God that you'd convict us to get off and to allow you to get on it. Help us to know how to do that. Thank you also that we have the Spirit that empowers us in a new way. And I pray for this year that you would teach us how to walk by the Spirit. It's one thing to know that we have access to the power that rose Jesus from the dead. It's another thing to be able to live moment by moment according to that power. And so, Spirit, I pray that you'd lead us in how to do that. Teach us, Lord, and help us to be submissive to how you lead us. And I pray, God, that we would be serious about the mission, that we would be less about ourselves and more about you, more about what it is that you want us to accomplish together so that more and more people might know that you're king. Uh, We look forward to all the things that you're going to do in Jesus' name.